The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. to the business of the business podcast i am your co-host jp john pause from the two-man power trip of wrestling and this is episode number six as i bring in my other co-host my tag team partner the man from trump mania he is mr lavi margolin lavi how you doing today sir i'm doing great uh recovering well you know after the the holiday push but uh but everything is going well feels like the holidays just flew by it went by very fast and it seemed like 2020 was going by so slow up until the holidays and it just flew by and now we're kind of back to normal back to the grind but what's going on as far as this wrestling world we're going to do how kind of ring of honor fits into the sinclair broadcasting universe and talk about a whole myriad of topics today including aralucha what happened to all that money? We're going to speculate on some mergers and some acquisitions and some opportunities. But Lafi, kind of where did you want to start? I think starting with Ring of Honor and how it exists in the Sinclair universe is a good jumping off point. And then we'll sort of expand that more broadly as we look at bigger corporations and uh, larger wrestling world. It's so interesting with Ring of Honor and, and Sinclair broadcasting in the sinclair universe because when you think of sinclair you think like small but it's not small at all it's huge it's all over the place they're in so many markets but so many wrestling fans aren't really able to see ring of honor as easily as they're able to see the big two as they're able to see wv and aew why is that what's what's going on with sinclair they're so big but yet they seem so small to us the wrestling fan Right. So it's a couple of things. Firstly, it depends on the market. As we're both Northeasterners in the tri-state area, there's not a huge Sinclair presence here. So for example, they don't um, brand an ABC or NBC station or Fox like they would across the country. There's some reach with their Diginets, which we talked about last week of, of what that is. Uh, supposedly stadium reaches into New York and Comet and charge, but um, if you try and scan your TV, it might be somewhat difficult. But their strengths are more sort of middle America, as Vince McMahon would say, or you know Texas. But they're they're pretty wide. They're in continuous growth for a number of years. Um, as per their website, they're on 190 TV stations, 607 channels, and 88 U.S. markets. And in some markets, they are on more than one um, platform. So there had been some concern politically 
when they had a very strong message um, and um, they were delivering that to viewers over a number of different platforms. And, um, you know, there was some concern when they were trying to get even larger and buy Tribune assets, you know, sort of what would that mean for media? I always think of like, man, what channel are they on? How can I see them? And then they claim to be everywhere in all those channels. And I'm in Comcast in, in uh, Central Jersey here, and, and really, you know, a big market for TV homes and all this other stuff. I don't have it. I don't know how to get it, or you know, I just don't see it. And and obviously, you know, you can get Honor Club and go about it that way. But I just don't have it on my TV, which would be easiest for me. Yeah. What's interesting also is that um, in some of the uh, larger markets where they are, they don't necessarily put um, Ring of Honor on. So on the Yes Network, where they own a piece of that, of course, with the Yankees and Amazon and whoever else, um, it's not on the main feed. I believe there's a Yes National feed, so it appears there, but probably most likely is that there's more valuable programming to put on or in New York, New Jersey market. If you did have paid programming, that would probably earn out more for the owners than putting pro wrestling on. It's interesting with, you know, this kind of uh, this old mystery, like you said, of uh, Ring of Honor, the ratings in Sinclair. If they're on all these different stations, they're on all these different times, and you know, nothing matched up. They're not on for me where I am, you know, but but they're on, you know, maybe across the pond or you know wherever they're on. I don't mean the UK. I mean just maybe like across the streets in place. They they might have Ring of Honor or somewhere in, in South Jersey has it, or if you go to obviously the Baltimore area, they're going to have it. Just how do you kind of calculate? all the ratings. I mean, you don't add them all up. Do you? I mean, like, how would you possibly know what the rating is if the show is syndicated and if they're all over the place? So generally the number isn't shared much. I think it was Kevin Sullivan who had done a little bit of consulting or work with them a couple of years ago. He's like, they don't even know what the rating is. But I actually read an interesting book, which I'm going to refer back to later, which is called Media Selling, Digital, Television, Audio, Print, and Cross-Platform by Wiley. So it's more of a, a textbook. Um, but hey, I'm just that crazy. I'll, I'll buy those type of books just for fun. So one of the interesting things that I learned was that when you're selling um, advertising, even locally, um, you do, and it's monitored by Nielsen, you do have to get the numbers back. So then you can go back to the person that bought the ads and say, we hit the number that we promised or we didn't, and here's how we're making up for that. So uh, Sinclair is metered for the most part. Um, some of the Dijonets are a little bit off the radar there, so like a stadium, but we did see that charge actually averages 100,000 viewers. Um, but let's say they would take all of their 88 markets or 607 channels, many of which show Ring of Honor, uh, especially when it's over the air broadcast, you can total that up and come up with a number. It's just a very hard number to come by. But um, I came across a really interesting article um, from 2016 uh, on Media Village, and they actually had an estimate in there from Nielsen. And the estimate was that Ring of Honor on Sinclair averages 500,000 viewers. Wow, really? That, I don't know. To me, that that's shocking to me. Is that at all shocking to you? Um, it seems somewhat in line with, with what I would expect because 
A, I think the number is probably a bit higher now. You know, they're always growing. Um, so maybe, you know, we don't know, but maybe it's 600 or 650, but I think around that number. But imagine like in these different markets, let's say you have um, a popular um, college football team and it airs on ABC 6. Um, and then the show ends and boom, there's Ring of Honor, right? So if um, if 3% of the people in you know this town in Tennessee were watching the football game and then a third of them stay to watch Ring of Honor, that's a 1.0 rating, which you know isn't bad. So you total this up over you know hundreds of well over the 88 over the air markets, but hundreds of channels potentially, you know, it starts adding up pretty uh, pretty quickly. The only other numbers we had had was that brief run on Destination America, which was kind of like uh, a rebuke to TNA. It was kind of a weird thing um, for a while, but they were averaging, I think, under 200,000 on there. Some weeks it was over 200,000, some weeks under 200,000. Yeah, thinking of like 500,000, okay, like if you really think about it, like WCW would do in the millions and that was considered you know, failure or, or not great or whatever, you know what I mean? Like they would get this great number. You look at it today as a great number. I know now it's much different. It's much more niche. Uh, there's, there's programming everywhere. There's so many more channels. I know the excuses, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But you just think of impact. If they do 150,000 a week and ROH, let's say is doing 500,000 ROH is a lot bigger and better than impact, but it doesn't kind of come, come across that way. It almost comes across as if they're equals. Right. It's so splintered. Like, um, you know, let's say um, a minor league sport that does really well. Let's say like, um, I'm not sure how minor league hockey was doing pre-COVID, like ECHL, or I might be dating myself as to what the leagues mm -hmm. are now, but certainly minor league baseball is very ingrained in certain pockets of America or even high school sports. So like from a national profile, if it's not happening in your town or your city, it kind of seems like it's not important, but um, you know, there's these certain pockets where it's well established and it does well. And when you aggregate that together, um, you know, you have a good number. Um, so from my understanding, actually, Joe Coff had done an interview with Eric Bischoff a few years ago, and he was sort of explaining that Ring of Honor is able to retain some commercial time. So the network gets, you know, the bulk of it, but Ring of Honor gets some commercial time and then they sell that. Um, or they have um, sort of like a, a representative sell it for them. And that's um, part of their revenue or a good portion of their revenue for their division. With Ring of Honor getting that many fans, does it count? Because you're adding them all up from all different places and it's not coming from one source. Like WWE Raw would be USA primarily. AEW Dynamite would be on TNT primarily. It's because... Sinclair is under so many different kind of stations and, and coaches all over the place. Does that number actually count? I mean, you know, it, it depends on what you're using it for. So it goes to show that people are watching. Um, I kind of feel, though, that some of it is like the more casual watcher. Like, you won't see Ring of Honor's attendance sort of like start spiking. Oh, you're on RSNs now. Um, you know, that it starts spiking there. It's more based on the um, you know, sort of the buzz and, um, you know, interests of, of hardcore fans as opposed to, you know, an extra 25 or 50,000 casual viewers in Ohio, but for a company that's firstly a media company 
and um, they utilize this product sort of to bring value to their local stations and fill programming. They tend to find a place for it on most stations. Um, and that's actually, from what I understand, what the Aster affiliates find somewhere for it. You decide that. Some give it more time than others that, um, you know, it has value to them, you know, in that way. Um, but interestingly, and I think we might have talked about this, um, you know, it came out that Ring of Honor was considering doing a a national show. So that would have been interesting to see how they were going to deliver that, whether it would be, you know, on one Diginet um, platform that, you know, is, is countrywide, but doesn't have many viewers, or they try and find as many um, stations that have availability at certain times so that they could try and run it, you know, all at the same time, which, you know, would be impossible to get everyone. But kind of thinking about it, um, remember like Herb Abrams UWF and I have to drop a reference every show. They had that sports channel America special mm -hmm. or yep. two from, from Vegas, right? Like I'm sure some of the sports channels had times that conflicted, you know, if there was a hockey game, but they were trying to sort of like get one time, which is um, a challenging thing uh, to do. So with ring of honor and their quote unquote popularity, like you know we've talked about it before are they definitely a number three because impact could definitely be considered a three i know we kind of go back and forth on this a lot but if you really look at the audience and the amount of people i know you might have added up and do this and that but it just seems like maybe ring of honor is more popular than impact it's almost like the perception is that it isn't but i just think that if you really look at all these numbers it must be and is it more profitable than impact so like casually, I feel like people have come across it in, in the last, what is it, three years, three or four years since um, Impact is off, you know, Spike um, and, and some of its best platforms there. Someone will uh, message me, hey, you know, it's been off exactly this time period, which is great because we'd love to know that you're out there listening. So we love that passion. I would do the same thing. But forever, forever long, it's been off, um, you know. Uh, since then, I would say Ring of Honor certainly has more viewers. I think Impact is still sort of, you know, on the minds of like serious quote unquote wrestling fans. Like, look, you know, it was kind of low profile on access, but they have the national distribution. It's all on one time period. And then suddenly they're working with AEW and, you know, the numbers spike for at least a week, a little bit for for two weeks sort of like residual effect so there's still very much sort of a known commodity like when you look at how well tna and impact had established themselves in like social media sphere their numbers like of subscribers and so on even if they're passive subscribers are, are really dwarfed ring of honor especially having paid for like hulk hogan and sting like like we talked about when people are looking for this in YouTube and those sort of things, like they'll subscribe because it doesn't cost them anything. And there's names there that draw it, whereas Ring of Honor, um, you know, never really paid for that talent, although they were growing their budget. Um, and that's one of the things is we're looking at like Sinclair as it exists in, so or Ring of Honor as it exists in the Sinclair universe. One thing to know about Sinclair is not only um, political conservatism, but fiscal conservatism in that 
Uh, well, they spent a lot of money for these RSNs, and that's a whole other story we can get into. Um, but they put that sort of under its own like subdivision, so they're kind of shielded from that a bit. But they're very cautious company. They don't spend a lot of money on production, let's say, for stadium and um, the news anchors. You know, if there's different um, sort of brands, they might work under those those different brands, and that sort of rolls down to Ring of Honor, which, although on their website it's you know front and center, sort of like is one of the things that they produce content, so they're proud of it. But it seems like they've always been very careful about spending money, right? Like you had this time with the elite where things were growing and peaking, and um, even uh, Cody Rhodes had talked about like pushing Ring of Honor to book bigger venues, and it seemed like they pushed back, right, and didn't really do that. They moved on and did something else. So there was that opportunity lost. So for better or worse, they're with a fiscally conservative company, which means that they won't lose so much, but they won't, you know, take as many risks. Um, it sounded like they did pay a lot for, to retain some of their talents, which may not have paid off in the last couple of years. But generally, if there's the biggest free agent, uh, they're not going to be in a, a bidding war for that talent. Yeah, and we talked about that in a previous episode, how basically Ring of Honor kind of missed the boat. And they, when you had to be risky, they weren't risky, and they lost out a lot of guys, thus the creation of AEW. And, you know, we obviously seen the success that they've had. I mean, now they're kind of tapering off and kind of more even, but they definitely have a, a ton of success as far as just where they're at and where Ring of Honor's at. So it's just one of those things like, man, if they would have took the risk and maybe did this and this, that, who knows what would have happened. Maybe they could have retained the Bucks and Cody and maybe brought in Omega full-time. And, you know, who knows where they could have been and what could have happened with them. To me, it's you're right. Like, they don't really go after those big names. Marty Skrull, who was kind of the big name that they went after, they also made him the, the head booker, and that kind of enticed him, and that was kind of a way of – not saving money, but you know, maybe not paying top dollar, but keeping him at a good rate, but also giving him some more responsibility, maybe some more ability to do things that he wanted to do and a better schedule. But maybe he was the wrong guy for that, obviously, as, as we're kind of seeing with uh, you know that whole movement that maybe he was the wrong guy at the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, you have to do, I guess, better background checks. You would think like a big corporation, like they seem to jump to HR when they need to. So start with that a little bit earlier. That would be a smarter move. But, you know, having that sort of structure, imagine, you know, if the money was a little bit better um, and you gave that to Cody Rhodes or, you know, I'm not sure if I read that that was offered. Don't want to start rumors there, but like that sort of thing or, or the young box and you're sort of like, they're driving the engine kind of like what they do as, as vice presidents now with AEW and to be involved as a talent and, you know, behind the scenes and they have a lot of connections and people are behind them sort of like to think about it um, creatively in that way. And when you're part of a big media company, you know, I'm not sure if you could have somebody be like a, a news person at the same time, but, but you can think about it creatively about like what else you can get them involved in, in the uh, greater um, Sinclair universe, because Sinclair is up to a lot of different things. Um, you know, they are uh, station owners, firstly, um, but they're, you know, they do the news they have different um, channels. So Tennis Channel is their cable channel. They have the Diginets, which we talked about, like Stadium, Comma TV, Charge, TV, TBD. 
Um, Ring of Honor is really one of the only things that they sort of produce in-house that's not news-like. Sometimes they'll have specials for better or worse. There was something that was going to come out about the coronavirus, but then they decided better of it or maybe change the format or something. And now they're sort of getting into, besides the Honor Club, they have more of a broader OTT platform, STIR. And they acquired the RSNs, the former Fox RSNs, um, which sort of was really bad timing. And it's actually, um, I think Bloomberg or whomever had written it, that it was like one of the most debt-laden um, you know, acquisitions um, you know, out there. But um, the lawyers and accountants were smart, sort of like it's its own thing. It's sort of, uh, there's a lot of like, like inks, like Ring of Honor ink, like, yes, it's part of Sinclair, but you're sort of protected from that. So if like something isn't going well, you can sort of like cut it off and like push it away as much as, um, you know, uh, tax laws allow. Now, as far as kind of just Ring of Honor, I just want to kind of just to sum them all up, really, just to look at them with on Sinclair. So if they are doing this is 2016, now we're in 2020, who knows if it's going up or down, but they're doing 500K a week and that's the number let's just say that's the number are they happy with that number or do you think that you know that, that they're thinking like okay we need to do something obviously the pandemic's gonna hurt that but do we need to do something make maybe make a splash maybe sign somebody big to get them higher than the 500k number because you know nxt last week did 589 so it's not like you know they're that far off from kind of uh breaking in to uh to a bigger number Right. I think I think they're probably happy with it, sort of in the way it's being delivered if it's on 11 a.m. in, in uh, Grand Rapids or something like that. I don't know if you're going to, like, spike that number, you know, uh, much more. But, you know, some of their other ways of making money, um, there you would need more passionate engagement. Like, when you could do live events, so it's less of a concern now. But in terms of honor club memberships and pay-per-views however those are being delivered if you're not honor club member t-shirts and merchandising and you know uh social media and streams and everything like that there you need more engagement and a more um compelling product and um i'm encouraged to see that they've sort of been doing the best they can during the coronavirus not only did they have the um uwfi like tournament which is a smart idea when you don't have an audience, but also they just came out with a special episode sort of looking at um, what happened during the coronavirus and how that disrupted their shows in Las Vegas, how they ultimately didn't have fans there and sort of led us where we are today. So I'm very curious to see that episode. With Ring of Honor kind of moving forward, I feel like they have done a good job so far and, and I love the pure tournament and I like what they were doing. The signing of like guys like Dan Housen, who kind of was like an internet sensation. You know, I know some people love him, some people don't like him. Obviously, one thing is for sure, he doesn't really fit the Ring of Honor mold as far as the wrestler is concerned. You know what I mean? He's not like Jonathan Gresham out there where he can wrestle anybody and whatever. He's definitely a different kind of guy for Ring of Honor who kind of hit the scene and was popular online. Then even PCO, who is a good worker and, and obviously of the older persuasion, but great wrestler, was great in the WWF. Actually great anywhere he went, really, if you look at it, just a great wrestler, but became an online sensation, him and Destro. 
is that kind of the way it's going to go for Ring of Honor? They're going to kind of sign these guys that are hit, hitting it big on social media and hitting it big on the internet, and then they're going to try to you know make a play that way, almost go more online? It seems like sort of a good, partly a good way to balance things out. You know, if you bring in people that have a following, even if they have a dimmer view of Ring of Honor than they used to, if they used to be big fans. But if you're a big Donhausen fan or whomever it is, you'll check it out and, and see what's going on. But it's also important to be able to build your own people. And it seems like that's been something challenging for them for a number of years, like some of the younger talent and even some of those that are getting older, like they seem to be in the same position year after year. And, you know, um, from opening card to mid card and sort of, you know, to grow from there um, seems more challenging. So that's something that they, um, that they need to look at. The challenging thing is that, Sort of when you're a hot company, it's easy to build people up. But when it's cold, it's hard to get more attention and, um, you know, really uh, break out of that again. We've seen that with WWF and WWE through the cycles, you know, for the last 40 years. So moving on to some speculations, speculating on some mergers and acquisitions and some opportunities out there. What are you thinking as far as maybe even WWE? Yes. So just to be clear, we're having fun with this kind of thinking about it sort of strategically. Um, you know, there's no uh, there's no actual uh, smoke to the fire, whatever they say. Um, this is speculation, uh, things that might happen one day. Um, so if you are a news site with a Z, please talk about our, our podcast, but we're having some fun here. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and this has been out there as an idea um, before with WWE is sort of like if they were to uh, be acquired or uh, acquire companies. So firstly, if they were to be acquired, um, certainly it makes sense with some of their strongest partners to consider them, right? Because the rights fees go up every year and the value to those partners partners is as content. So like for an NBC Universal or a Fox um, to consider purchasing the company. I think one thing that helps is that things aren't driven as much and certainly not now by live events. And before it might be NBC Universal was thinking, well, you know, do I really want to get into a touring company that does 700 or whatever, maybe live shows a year, and that's how they make their money because we're a media company. But now if it's sort of you're disconnected from that or you can outsource that, like we talked about that extensively with Feld previously, then, you know, it seems to make um, more sense to consider, um, you know, an acquisition, um, especially as, you know, Vince McMahon um, gets older. For WWE to acquire additional companies, um, you know, it would probably play out like it always has, right? You know, the brand might exist for a small amount of time, but ultimately it'll become WWE in some form. And they're just looking for uh, not only the IP, but the, the video library. So, um, you know, they're open for business for any decent uh, video content, but I don't think that it's something they especially need right now. You know, it's interesting. Dirty Dutch a few months ago said that he was kind of just making it up. But, you know, knowing who he talks to and and all these different people that he, he gets information from, I don't think he was making it up. Um, but I think to kind of cover the backlash of maybe him <laughs> hearing from certain people not to 
to say anything, maybe he'd try to cover it up. But he was saying that WWE was in talks with uh, Disney and that Fox was in talks with them and that you know people were interested in buying them, which I'm sure is true because if they have a value in the billions, obviously, you know, that's going to garner some attention from a lot of people, Fox and Disney included, that are going to be interested. Is there any truth at all to that? You know what I mean? It, it was Dutch onto something, not onto something? I know we're kind of playing around, but do you think like, hey, you know, Disney notices stuff like that and, and would add them to the, the repertoire, you know, add them to their huge, huge circulation? I think, you know, media always eats media and like of Fox, NBC, uh, Disney and so on. Um, like they're always looking to grow. I think probably the reason it hasn't happened yet, you know, we, we have this sort of like idea that the McMahons, you know, they love it so much and it's from their grandparents. But I think the the other idea, though, is that like it's it's a little bit of a challenging acquisition, right? Like yes, millions of people might watch it, but is it exactly a Disney property, right? I know that they've owned movie studios that have done R-rated movies before and so on, but like, it's not exactly a fit for Disney World, right? So like, you know, you'd have to like balance that out. But I know Disney is doing a little bit, at least their Mexican division or their division in Mexico um, with AAA of, of sort of getting superheroes onto the wrestling shows and, and creating characters. So they're dipping their toe in the wrestling waters. Um, there had been a write-up that they were thinking of launching their own promotion, which would be um, something interesting to see. Um, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if there had been like, very informal talks. I think those type of things go on all the time, but I don't know of anything specifically based on any of that. So, you know, you were kind of saying WB, you, you know, you got NBC universal, obviously it's a big part of them. Fox is a big part of them. Disney. It, do you, can you see like an outside person, you know, as Vince's health is a client, you know, if Vince is alive, there's no way he's ever going to sell WB. But do you think like, there's, is there somebody out there that we 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 don't even know? Like a Tony Khan, for instance, who was out there, was a huge fan, and nobody knew except for a few people this guy was such a huge fan. And obviously, you know, his father's a, a billionaire, and he's a billionaire. So, you know, he went out there, he did it, he got AEW. But is there somebody else out there that we don't know about, that this big wrestling fan? I mean, is Mark Cuban really going to want to get back into the wrestling business? I mean, is there somebody out there we're, we're not accounting for? Right. So I, you know, in terms of individuals, certainly somebody like Mark Cuban, like seems to love wrestling. And um, that would seem like like a fit in terms of somebody that would have the money for it. Obviously, you have the um, the uh, MBS, <laughs> the Prince of, of Saudi Arabia, um, you know, those type of people. I mean, not, not to compare the two at all, but people yeah. like that, um, uh, disparate people. Um, but then you have, um, I think, You'd also have like, um, you know, the investment firms, the, you know, the big money financial firms that they might buy it sort of as an investment on a big scale. And then like, sort of like gussy it up, like to sell it to um, a big media company. So like they gather uh, primary funding and then they have um, smaller investors and then they, they make bigger purchases 
um, like that. And then, you know, they would look to sell it to a, to a media company. So I think there's a variety of options. Like when it was more live events focused, I did think about a company like Feld because, you know, there was so much of a connection there, but then Feld would have to um, create, you know, uh, further media divisions and sort of uh, find partners and so on. So I think that would be less likely at this point. So if you kind of look at who else is out there, how about Sinclair acquiring Anthem um, or maybe just like wrestling brands only or vice versa, Anthem acquiring a part of Sinclair or acquiring Ring of Honor? Right. So, uh, you know, I've thought about it both ways. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So, like, let's say Sinclair Sinclair acquires Anthem. So remember, Anthem isn't just – impact wrestling you know they have a variety of their channels whatever you think of them the the pursuit channel um game plus um obviously access now it would be a key there so there's a number of media properties that a sinclair can leverage to get better distribution sort of like let's say you roll into dayton and you all you own and i'm making this up you own the abc and cbs affiliate and you have the rsn and now you have not only the tennis channel but you have access to so sort of like it's not like you could make the owner of uh, the game company quiver like you're going to take away our access but but uh, like it's just more leverage and that's how media companies work so sort of like the more assets that you have the more you can leverage and, and sort of like make more money in totality and then also economies of scale right like you need less accountants if like you don't have to take all of Anthem's accountants because Sinclair has some. They would just have to add a little bit more. You don't need all the HR people. Sinclair might just have to acquire a little bit more. You know, so so that sort of thing. So it sort of drives down the cost of things. So that would be sort of like one way. Like I can see the Anthem assets folding into Sinclair quite nicely. Uh, from the wrestling side, you'd have, you know, all of that um, – Hey, you have access, you can do what you want, whether, you know, you keep impact or you call it ring of honor or have them feud, but then you also have all that content, right? It's like, you know, arguably, right. For the last 10 years, at least like in terms of like us um, promotions, besides WWE before AEW, like if you were going to have a secondary library, like that would be, like you could put those together and there, there's something to that. Whereas like, if you look now on like apps that are not WWE affiliated, um, you know, you'd have to, um, uh, you, you know, you have some of the lower level stuff, which, which doesn't come across that well. So, uh, but then also if Anthem, you know, Anthem, I don't know if they'd be in the position to, you know, the larger financial firm, if they'd be in the position to acquire like all of Sinclair, just because that's so large. I think you'd have, uh, you need a variety more investors, but like if they want to sell off the Anthem brand of it, or even like the impact part, you know, I could see Sinclair, um, you know, being a partner for that or Anthem purchasing, excuse me, the, uh, the ring of honor portion of things. Um, you know, I could see that folding in nicely. With that kind of like speculation, do you think it's good to, to kind of to have these companies 
can I team up and let's just say ROH, for instance, would gobble up Impact. Is that good for wrestling? Bad for wrestling? Do you want more companies or do you want less bigger companies? One of those things where you know you had WWE, you know WWF really at one time, WCW, ECW, where the three biggies, everybody else was pretty small. Now it's WWE is the really big one. AEW is you know second tier, and then the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth can kind of all be lined up together. Is it better to kind of combine? all those and, and make it a bigger company or do you think it's better to have a wcw wwf ecw like you, you need three really big ones it always seems like when you get together that you know like the total will, will end up ahead but oftentimes what happens is that things remain the same or even go back a little bit so it's kind of fun to see companies get together and, and see what happens but probably for the health of the business and the wrestlers and um uh you know, and and people, employees, and and so on. That um, that it's probably best for for everyone if they stay separate. As far as AEW is concerned, and this rumor is flying out there because of the obvious, you know, quote unquote feud right now with Impact Wrestling and Tony Khan appearing on their shows and Kenny Omega being on their shows, and then you're hearing that the Good Brothers and maybe some others may also end up appearing besides Don Callis appearing on dynamite for AEW. What about AEW acquiring impact flat out? Right. So, you know, it would make sense that uh, the Khan family would have the money, but they're not just throwing it out the window. Um, it would have to be strategic. And I'm, I'm not sure sort of like what they would get with that because they don't really rely on a, um, uh, you know, old tapes. Like they don't have like, um, a library or video on demand service that's, you know, focused on that. Um, you could sort of have this feud going for a while, but you could do that anyway. Um, you could get some more contracts, but they could get those guys and, and men and women anyway. So I'm not sure of the sort of total value to that, but I could see, um, like we've talked about why Anthem being like an, an, an anxious seller to sort of like cash out on, on this. Um, but I don't see it making too much sense for AEW. With AEW, there's also the rumor of them acquiring the NWA. Is that, you know, maybe it's not really a great substantial rumor, but what do you think about that? Do you think that they would or could gobble up to, the sure, NWA? Sorry. They seem to like the the brand. Um, you know, they've they've had um, the women's belt defended, and Cody certainly um, played it well to that storyline pre AW with with All In. Um, so, like, I don't know what Billy Corgan's you know planning to do with it. And every week it seems like I'm dim on the NWA, but I wish them well. But you know, after a while, like, I'm not sure where he goes from here. And you know, he's a business person. Too so, you know, if the price is right, I could see it landing well with AEW. They they tend to love the uh, the history of the business to have the NWA belt and um, you know all that lineage. I think that's a nice little acquisition for them if the price is right. What about any international company purchasing a U.S. brand? Right. So sometimes it's hard to get a foothold in one country. So sort of if you acquire another and, and manage it remotely or you have a team that's capable of doing that, that might give you a foothold. So, you know, a company like New Japan would seem to have some of the money to consider something like that. Let's say um, 
let's say they wanted to, you know, and there's rumors flying now, or, I mean, actually they, it was on PW Insider that in their stream, it had something about we'll be on TV in the US and UK soon before Wrestle Kingdom, they had put that and Dave Meltzer had reported that they're very close to a TV deal. So um, we'll have to see what that means, but let's say they had continued to struggle. you know, like a company like MLW has established themselves pretty well. They're on um, a network with some reach. You know, Court, you know, understands um, Japanese wrestling. He's had dealings with with all Japan before. So, you know, New Japan controlling a company like that and bringing in talent or rebranding it, I could see something like that making sense. So was there any word on to where they might be broadcast in the U.S. or the U.K. or there's no word. It's just kind of them putting it out there but without any real evidence, not evidence, but any real information yet. Yeah. uh, No, there was no information um, yet. I forgot. um, There was, was it Aerolucha or somebody like (laughs) once they had like a commercial, like coming soon and it it aired, I forgot like during impact or something, people were like, wow, you know, this is going to happen. So like that, obviously that reminded me of it on a much smaller scale, but, um, but no, my guess, my speculation thinking about it over the last day is that it'll be on a premium network. Like the way that I see it is that new Japan really helped to grow access TV um so like people will or at least at that time they would go out and seek it out and there's really a passion for this type of wrestling especially pre-AEW now I think it's a little bit you still have the passionate fans but it's a little bit more less so or more split um but like let's say you put it on a showtime or stars you know who's looking to grow their subscriber base I think you can do that with a company like New Japan that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, hmm, that could be a, a good idea for them. I wonder if them doing that takes away any sort of other viewers from other wrestling. You know what I mean? They're going to get their fill. Maybe they have enough. Maybe uh, they start tuning away from AEW or another station. Do you think that happens with wrestling fans? Yeah, um, I think like I think, and we saw it with like All In and then AEW. Sort of like there was this sort of uncertainty is like who was number two and you had like new japan and ring of honor and and so on where like you had different pockets of support growing but then as soon as AEW came out sort of people were like hey you know this is the number two brand and sort of dim the others so you know when other companies sort of gain a spotlight and take a higher profile i don't think it'll hurt AEW, but you know it might diminish um the spotlight of others so as far as a different topic here, the history of the 18 to 49 demo, that's just something to me that's so fascinating because when did that kind of first come out? I know it's always been a thing and it's always been popular, but now it's really because of Chris Jericho and Tony Khan, you know, Jericho probably more tongue in cheek than anything else, but really, really everyone keeps pushing. It. And then obviously the Alvarez's and the Meltzer's of the world really go all in on the, uh, no pun intended there, really go all in on the 18 to 49 demo of the fact that AEW keeps winning and really only SmackDown is getting some of that back. And sometimes SmackDown loses AEW in that demo, but it's on a different night, so that doesn't really matter. I mean, it kind of doesn't make sense in a way. But nevertheless, 18 to 49 as a demo, where did it come from? Why is it so important? 
Okay, so like I mentioned before, I've been doing my textbook reading. Mm -hmm. So in 1962, Oliver Trays was the president of ABC. At the time, ABC was a low-rated network compared to you know the others, CBS and NBC. So when um, they had to overcome these low ratings, uh, he asked the Nielsen, the television ratings company, to break down its household ratings into demographic segments that included an 18 to 49 group that encompassed younger people that advertisers craved and a demographic that ABC's youth-oriented programming appealed to. He realized that advertisers were more willing to place bets in the spring on a new program coming in the fall if they had a guarantee of a certain level of viewership in the program. ABC's pricing structure was based on how much an advertiser would pay to reach a thousand viewers, and thus the cost per thousand pricing model was established. Well, all the way back that far, it literally seems like maybe, like maybe us as wrestling fans don't realize it, but it really seems like the '90s during the Monday Night Wars, and then this time again that people are talking about 1849, but it's really been important forever, huh? Yeah. So. Um... And it's interesting because it goes to show that the number was emphasized uh, by saying not the, you know, the quantity of viewers, but the quality of viewers, right? ABC did it out of desperation of saying, like, we don't have the highest total, but maybe there's something going on here if we can show to advertisers that we have the people that will pay the most for the ads. Well, it's just to me, it's like, why... 18 and why 49 like why is that the demo do they ever get into kind of that age like i guess 18 you're you know can you can vote <laughs> you know you're you're an adult and why does it stop at 49 is 50 too old i mean what's what's up with that actual age grouping there no, that's a good question. I don't know if they came back to it and then sort of like proved this idea of like showing like these are the people that spend the money. I imagine that they have, but right, like on its face, it doesn't seem to make sense as much. You would think like people in their 50s with sort of like closer retirement and they've saved for a number of years that they'd be in more position to buy things, but maybe they're more conservative in what they buy. Because, you know, at 18, you know, you're finishing high school or going to college. Usually you don't have much money unless your parents are giving it to you. My parents sort of gave me a credit card, but I was always nervous to use it because, you know, at the end of the month, they'd be looking at what I bought. So I didn't want to like right, push it yeah. too much. Yeah. Maybe once in a while, I'd <laughs> once or twice a month, I'd buy like, you know, dinner on it or something, but not go too crazy because you don't want it <laughs> to get taken away. It's just to me, it's just funny. It's like, why 18 to 49? Just like looking at it and thinking about it. It's like, I wonder how they determine those numbers. I could see 18 where, you know, maybe 17, then 18, you're out of high school and you kind of start being an adult and you start your life or you start your college career or something. Maybe that's why it starts at 18. But I just feel like there's such a fascination with that demo. And I even remember even further during the Monday Night Wars, it was much more 18 to 34. That was like the key demo. And you can kind of see that because that's kind of the younger people, younger generation, maybe 34 and up. It's like, okay, they have kids. They're, they're moving on. They're, they're not spending as much uh, on certain things. And, and, you know, the advertising is going to be different for them and yada, 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 and all the differences of it. But it's just, to me, it's like, wow, there was such a fascination with 1849. And if you look at it, WB is doing a better overall number, but AEW always wins 1849, so they can kind of hang their hat on that. 
Yeah, um, it seems like they appeal to to younger to younger viewers. Um, but like, I think the companies that are smart about it, like a Disney, they're sort of like a cradle to grave type philosophy that they try to have things that appeal to you throughout your life and that keeps you as a fan. I think that is the challenge for wrestling. Like, imagine if you know, let's say a kid gets into baseball and football and WWF when they're seven or eight years old. That kid is probably still into baseball and football and basketball, but WWF, only a certain percentage of them follow wrestling at all now. Like there's these, you know, peaks sort of like, uh, you know, it's for kids, it's for teenagers, shock TV, whatever it may be, or it's for older people, but you don't sort of like keep that audience, you try and bring them back sometimes. But unlike with something like sports, you know, once they're a fan, they're pretty much a fan for life. You know, like when we were younger, we were fans of Hogan and, and that era, and it was almost like perfect timing with the Attitude Era and what they were doing, and, and you become a fan of Steve Austin and everything they were doing then. I feel like that was kind of the, the perfect way to do it. You know what I mean? Like that was perfect if you think about it in essence of a business strategy. Maybe not exactly how they drew it up or the exact blueprint, but think about it. We're a kid. We're obsessed with wrestling. We're obsessed, As we're growing up, we wish it was more adult, and boom, Steve Austin, the attitude ever comes along. That seems like a, a smart way to kind of do it if you can do it and if you can get away with it. And I kind of thought that's what they were doing with the Cena era. You get all the kids, and as the kids grow up, maybe you know, maybe he's not going to necessarily turn heel like Hogan did with the NWO and do it do it that way. But maybe they do something more adult oriented with him, and or maybe even somebody else. But they never quite got there. Yeah, I, I really think um, Cena not turning heel was sort of like the biggest money left on the table. I think you would probably make a lot of money with it still. I don't think the window is closed with that, but it, it's interesting. Like they flip flop back and forth so much. I know Cena certainly started out, you know, as a heel early in his WWE tenure. Um, the thugonomics until people realized that they sort of liked it. Um, but like, Obviously, since he's been the big star, they haven't turned him back. And I think that was really good that they haven't. But I think there would be money there. I think, like, you didn't see it so successfully with Sting because people didn't want to boo him. But with, like, Cena, you already have half the people doing that. And if he leaned into it, that would be an interesting storyline to follow. Yeah, definitely. For sure, money left on the table there. Now, as far as the Buffalo Bills are concerned, they're obviously in the playoffs. They are doing very well as far as the regular season. They finished thirteen and three. They are allowing seven hundred, excuse me, seven hundred. You're right, uh, seven thousand people in. It's you know one of those things where it's like, wow, seven thousand people. I know the the stadium fits about seventy thousand, so you know it's basically ten percent, and and you're really not allowing that many people in. But seven thousand still is is you know much more than we've hear hearing other places where it's basically nobody allowed period they don't want anybody in there they'll pipe in the fake crowd noise so they're going to allow 7000 in so does that mean that pro wrestling events can have a a larger scale event i mean can they can they do this as well maybe charge more for the ticket but run a bigger venue Right. So it's like it's a test case because uh, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York in, in my state, he's you know been very conservative and very careful um, for the most part about, you know, COVID and gatherings and everything like that. And here they're going to have 7000 people, but in an area that's really um, stretched out. So they'll have testing at the game. So I guess immediate testing and then they'll send you home um, if you're not social distancing. 
and you have to pre-register and, you know, groupings and everything like that. But, you know, if, if something like this works, you know, that might be sort of the next iteration for pro wrestling. We're, we're seeing it on the smaller scale and in Daly's place where you have um, a thousand people in a 6,000 seat place. But, you know, if you can increase that number, right, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium is literally right there. I mean, they, they, I don't know if they own the stadium, they obviously own the team. Um, so you can, you know, that might be something to think about having events there, 10,000 people in a, you know, whatever it is, 60 to 80,000 seat venue. And that, that would sort of like give it a different feel for bigger events. And it might be something to consider for uh, WrestleMania too. Interesting that it's that many people are allowed, which isn't really a lot if you think about how big that stadium is. But this is kind of the first time they've let fans in all year, right? I mean, they haven't let any fans in up until this point. Right. Um, yeah, uh, right. It, w- it would be all year, right? Uh, time flies. It encompassed much more than the whole uh, NFL season. When you think about the Bills and the Bills Mafia, they got these crazy fans, and you always see them putting people through tables. You always see the uh, craziness. Will you see that with those, you know, 7,000 fans? Will we still see the craziness? Or is this going to be one of those things where everyone's going to be wearing their masks, they're going to be social distancing, they're not going to be partying, it's not going to be the playoff atmosphere we're normally expecting and expected from the Bills? Right. So you're not supposed to tailgate. Um, I'm sure based on their fans that people will try to do some things, but they'll probably be escorted out quickly. So if you want to remain, you know, you sort of have to uh, follow the rules until they catch you or if they do catch you. So uh, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of that, but I think most part it'll be like um, <laughs> the least fun at a football game you can have. But, you know, uh, it's better to do that than you know, risk people's lives. So as far as some other things going on, got a question for you, Lavi. Is it time for more exclusive contracts? There's been a lot of COVID issues going on, and you don't want guys going from one place getting COVID from, let's just say, you know, they they did an appearance in Georgia for some promotion, and uh, they got COVID, so they can't do their big shows for AEW or you know something of, the, of that extent. You know, one of those things. I'm just kind of making an example up, but let's just say they've had COVID issues somewhere, and that kind of prevents them working someplace else. Do you think that it's time for just exclusive contracts where these guys can be in more control over their talent? Yeah, I think for AW, certainly, like, thinking about it, like, most realistically for them, that would be a smart idea. Like, you know, like um, Brian Pillman Jr., he recently ran won a title with OVW, and now he's giving up the title. So uh, I think it's a good idea, like, once you're in the position of a bigger company and, you know, if, if you consider this their full-time profession, if you're not calling it their employment, like, you don't want your guys going to like every ragtag show, um, you know, nothing. I don't mean OBW, but wherever, um, you know, there's COVID issues, people could get hurt. It's also like there's pictures going around. I think it was from New Jersey of like Brian Cage um, being at a show where like the ceiling was like <laughs> was so low that it was falling down on him or like they threw somebody through a wall. Like if you want to show your stars as larger than life, like, you have to pull them out of these sort of situations. I know I don't want to hurt like sort of like the infrastructure or the roots of the business. And I love that type of pro wrestling, but like for a company like AEW, it's time to sort of like do that, like pay people enough that they don't have to like hustle at these other shows. Um, 
I don't mean it to restrict the wrestlers, but like if you're with a company, like pay them enough that you're with the company. With, you know, the next tier, I think it would be more difficult. Like um, you may have one or three talents that you sort of like restrict their flow a little bit more, like you're in charge of their bookings. Um, but, um, you know, it'd be harder to do that with like your whole roster. So I would look to expand it a little bit just to sort of like, keep it within your brand and keep it safer in a number of ways. But, you know, with the smaller national brands, it would be harder to do that overall. And Brian Pillman Jr. is the OVW champion or was kind of had a forfeit the title because of AEW duties. So really, I know OVW is not really signing guys to contracts and stuff, but if Brian Pillman Jr. is going to be a part of AEW, he probably can't be champion of another promotion although you know they're not huge or anything but you know they're pretty big for what what they are as far as what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish and you know they are on tv in some markets and they are kind of all over the internet and everything else and everyone knows ovw from being the, the training ground for wb for all those years with the uh, cornet and then Heyman, and obviously having many tvs and many stars coming there so he was the ovw champion kind of had to forfeit it because of aew you think that that's another thing too? Like they don't really want their guys being champions of other promotions that get coverage. I don't think probably in this situation, I don't think they minded him being the OVW champion. I guess it would be like a little bit smarter to be if everyone was a few steps ahead, like here would be, if you are going to take the championship, we sort of need you for our next taping, which is two months away. See if the cons have any issue, you know, with the way tapings are being done in terms of COVID related issues. Um, see if there's any conflict in the timing, if what they need him to do with, with OVW. So like, I think if they had planned this, like you have him win the belt and then you take it away right away. Why didn't you just ask, you know, the, the primary, um, contract provider sort of if, if they were okay with it maybe they did and things changed but that would be sort of better planning i would think so as far as just you know exclusive deals do you think that it's good for the business and bad for the wrestlers like what do you what do you think about exclusive deals um i think as long as they're fair and they're not overly restrictive and they they sort of help the talents to achieve their fair market value or even exceed it, then it's great. But if it's just signing someone to a deal and then they can't, they're restricted from moving around, then it's not fair. Like Nigal, this obviously he's very happy or doing very well with the NWA, but when it was sort of like um, small, you know, um, less profile talents who are doing well um, with NWA, but they couldn't go anywhere you know, that, that doesn't seem fair or evolve type contracts, um, you know, as it had been reported there that you were sort of like exclusive and under their control, but at the same time, you weren't really earning a living. So final topic for today, Lobby, how much did Arrow, Lucha, raise? You know that they did all that kind of advertising. Ray Mysterio was on board. Conan was on board. They seem like they were doing big time stuff. Then you, you know, you kind of looked into it. Um, I don't know. It was one of those things where it's like I thought they filmed some shows. I thought they uh, had some name value on there. They had some certain things. Not sure what went wrong there, but how much money did they end up raising? Yes, this is something I came across randomly yesterday. Um, and we funder, um, and they said that. Um, 
it's not only their platform, but they're sort of like aggregating the numbers. It had that there were 317 investors who provide $519,216 in funding to Aralucha. Um, wow. Oh, my God. Which was through 2018. I know that they had a planned show July 2020 to do more taping. So it was unclear what they would be doing that for, or like, you know, was it another pilot or something like that? But also to put in perspective, the uh, Notorious Wrestling Revolution project, which was a, a CATS project, um, that had raised just a little, uh, publicly at least a little bit over $100,000. I think Chris Jericho was an investor in that. So he had probably given uh, significantly more than that. But you know, publicly, it was five times the amount that Arrow Lucha raised. So like when I started seeing it, like, you know, them promoting it kind of, you know, I would joke around a lot about it, but, you know, they were able to raise a, a fair amount of money and they did get um, some big names attached to it. Certainly uh, Rey Mysterio firstly, but I think Conan uh, was a name for a while and, and a couple of others. So what happened to all that money? Where did all that $500,000 go? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think like when you do do tapings, you know, it does get expensive. Like I'm just thinking back to my wedding, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's not even that fancy. You have a couple hundred people and, you know, it's already in the 20s and 30,000. So if you mm -hmm. have a production yep. crew and so on and you have staff, um, you know, uh, one of the, the Blues Brothers <laughs> um, and uh, – um, but they were planning to, I mean, they kind of consider themselves an active company, like in July, 2020, they were planning to tape something and they can't do it now. So we'll have to see what they do with that. Man, it's one of those things like, where does all that money go? It's just, uh, crazy. I think they raised that much money and they're basically, you know, gone and just gone in a minute, just like that. Yeah, it's, you know, the wrestling business could be like that sometimes. And that's, that's one of the most interesting things to follow. But I feel bad if anyone was investing, thinking that they would get, you know, multiple returns on their money as opposed to putting in the bank or uh, putting in the stock market. It's a risk. Absolutely. Now, as we head towards the plugs, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check out my website at TMPT Empire. Dot com. Lavi, what about you? So follow me on Twitter, Lavi Marg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. Um, see my articles on lioncubjobsearch.com. On Amazon, you can see Trump Mania, the 2020 election special edition. So uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, hopefully our electoral college has settled what they need to do. Um, uh, but um, also if you're interested in any career books, uh, help you with interviewing for jobs and so on, um, that's also available on Amazon. Got a little shocker question for you here. I know, I know you might not be ready for it, but what do you got for next week? So um, I, I was ready for it, but I don't have a specific answer. I think um, what, what I loved this week was uh, the interactivity over Twitter, um, both of our feeds, um, as we asked questions of what people wanted to hear. And a couple of the questions were the history of the 1849 and um, also about uh, Ring of Honor. So those that was a good portion of our show today. So we'd love to hear what you're thinking about. Obviously, if you're listening to a show like this, you love the business of the business. So we want to give you more information and let's see what happens. You know, does New Japan sign a TV deal? There's always interesting news to share. So let's uh, share it when it comes out next week.
Yes, and thank you everybody for your questions. Awesome stuff. I, I love what they kind of came up with. They are smart wrestling fans for sure. And I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this week. And we will see you right back here next week on the business of the business. See you next week, folks. <laughs>